Hello, this is Tony Lloyd. Being a broadcaster for many years, I've witnessed some great stories in the music industry. And now I want to bring as many music stories to you as I can in this series of podcasts. My goal is that they will inspire others making their way in the music world. Music Stories with Tony Lloyd. Rick Buckler from The Jam. Welcome to Music Stories. Oh, thanks. And um, you were the drummer, weren't you, and percussionist in the jam, or and you still are. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, that's um, uh, yeah. From the very outset, uh, me and Paul started the band, um, and then Bruce joined in a bit later on, and right the way through to the end of 1982, where it was uh, you know the last show. Okay, well, you've got a new book out called The Jam 1982, uh, written with Zoe Howe. Uh, well, Zoe was great help because obviously there was a lot of people interviewed um, from the uh, record company to, you know, various people. Uh, Gary Crowley uh, did the forward for the book um, and, and she helped a lot in that in that respect. I mean, she's written several other books, you know, ones with Wilco Johnson. And, and so she knows the music industry, which is very handy. Yeah. Um, and it took the sort of workload off some of the things that, you know, myself. Mm. Um, yeah, and it was, uh, yeah, it worked out really well. I mean, it was, um, um, it was a bit of a task, but, um, that's, you know, um, something like Zoe on, on board was good. Made it easier for you. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Well, we'll talk about the book again in a moment. Um, but I want to find out a little bit about you and how you got into the music business. I mean, you set up the jam when you were at, at school, didn't you? We did. Yes. It was, um. It was, I think it was Paul and another guy, Steve Brooks, who started a sort of acoustic duo and um, with aspirations to be like the Beatles, you know, be a four-piece band. So um, obviously they needed a drummer. They um, they had a, a guy who had done a couple of gigs with them, um, a guy called Neil Harris, but uh, he, um, he wasn't that reliable. So I ended up... Um, um, becoming sort of a, a permanent member really as far as drummers was concerned mm. i mean it, and then it but then we sort of had to think of a name so we became the jam which was a name that we weren't particularly happy with we thought oh we'll think of something better later on down the line you know um <laughs> obviously we never did um it was uh it sort of stuck we needed a name because we were we were doing all the workingmen's clubs around the area and, and it, that's where we sure. we sort of started and cut our teeth doing cover versions and why was it called the jam um mostly because of jamming really i suppose yeah um i think that's you know the where the name came from i don't think there was anything else that you know no real sort of meaning apart from it's like a musical jam you know? yeah Fantastic. Okay. Um, and did you, um, how did you learn music? Did you study it at school or did you just pick it up yourself? What happened there in the, those early days? Uh, I, was, I was self-taught on the drums. So um, you can learn a lot from watching other drummers, hmm. seeing how they play and listening to records. And I was always drawn to to, uh, to the drummers whenever I listened to, to anybody play on, on, uh, on record um, for some reason. And I, you know, that's really why I. That's my instrument of choice. Yeah, and um, I've I've flipped through the book. I haven't had a chance to read it all yet. Um, and the thing that strikes me about it, two things that stru- struck me about it. Um, one is that there's some amazing photographs from some from gigs, which which uh, I find interesting. 
um, especially sort of backstage ones with all the kit and everything else there from the 70s, which actually, um, I that's how I started out. I started out doing sound uh, for bands, for live bands at school, um, building loudspeakers and amplifiers and things, as well as being a DJ. So uh, I sort of have a connection with those photographs, you know, I think, oh, oh, look at that. Yeah, I remember those and all the rest of it. That's fantastic. And the other thing is that there's some great anecdotes, some great little stories about um, your life uh, at that time um, leading up to the end of 1982, of course. And those are the two things that really struck me about the book. Well, yeah, I mean, it's obviously, you know, my side of the story of what I experienced personally, you know, being in the band, as well as other people's stories from the outside, I suppose, Yeah, um, being a fan or being in the music industry. Um, but the photographs are really good. I mean, we had um, a guy called Twink, who is uh, you know, a friend of mine who, who was like the official photographer for the jam. He came on the road with us for uh, the 18 months before before the split. Um, so there's a lot of shots you know, candid that were taken behind the scenes in the dressing rooms on the coach mm. because he was on the road with us and we, he, you know, he was he was travelling with us and um, you know staying in the same hotels. He was given really the open opportunity to take a lot of photographs backstage and you know on the coach um, uh, and what have you, which is not the norm. A lot of the photographs of, of most bands are fairly formal. Um, when they have a photo session with, you know, a newspaper or, you know, that sort of thing. So, mm. yeah, it's good to have that that sort of um, catalogue of photographs to sort of revisit. There was still some that hadn't been used or hadn't been seen before. Yeah. No, fantastic. I think the candid ones can be more interesting, can't they, for people? They can, yes. I mean, it's um, uh, they've all got, you know, it's like all pictures have a certain story to tell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tell me about Decca Records that rejected you. <laughs> well, we used to do a lot of demos in the early days and send them off to the record companies. Hmm. So we were turned down by the re- best record companies in the business, really. Um, <laughs> but we do. We I still got a copy of a letter sent to us from Decca, um, which was made to a Mister Wella, which because they spelt the name wrong and, and everything. Um, <laughs> saying that we were not the sort of thing that they were looking for and they didn't think we were, you know, uh, (laughs) recording material, um, et cetera. Um, So it was one of them sort of moments of realisation that that if the record companies weren't going to come to us, then we were going to have to go to them. So Mm. uh, we decided that we were going to move in to the sort of London pub rock scene at that point, which didn't please John Weller too much. Um, John Paul's father was getting us the gigs in the workingmen's clubs and obviously we're getting paid for those. Mm. Um, but to move into the London shows, there were so many really good bands playing in the on the London scene that they didn't really pay. You're lucky if you got petrol money out of them. Um, so it was a it was a bit of a um, uh, you know a brave thing to do from us to say, well, we don't care about being paid. We just want to to get into a scene mm. where we can play to an audience of our own age and um, who actually want to listen to us, you know, playing our own songs. Um, playing the clubs, we're just the turn for the weekend, if you understand, you know. Um, we wanted to get away from from 
just being a covers band to uh, to playing our own music and forming our own identity, really. Mm, understand. And I think it's probably about the same these days as well. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure not very much has changed in that respect. <laughs> I think that you know the venues sometimes capitalise on uh, musicians' enthusiasm and uh, thirst for publicity, and so therefore they don't get paid properly, which is uh, bad, bad news. Uh, not everybody, of course. Um, okay, that's brilliant. Um, uh, another little story is um, a town called Malice, which is I, I can remember playing that at parties in Hampstead uh, <laughs> as a DJ. And uh, that's probably one of my favourite ones. And it was number one for a while, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. It. Uh, I suppose it is one of the probably the biggest one of the biggest hits that we had at the time. But yeah, it was a number one record for us, which was great. And the, um, uh, obviously, it was double A side, which meant that um, the BBC, which was un, they don't like you doing both sides of a record, but actually let us do both sides on top of the pops, which was fantastic. Brilliant. Um, it's very unusual. I think it's, I think the Beatles are the only other band that's ever done that. Oh. Um, so yeah, it was, and it's 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 a great song. It really is a good song. And I understand that um, uh, eventually it was toppled off the number one spot by a Tight Fit. I can't remember. Probably it, it, it obviously eventually fell off the charts. Wow. Yeah, but I don't know. So well, so uh, my research says, but who knows? You know, uh, with the, <laughs> with the lion sleeps tonight. And, sp- okay. and spookily, um, on Music Stories not so long ago, I interviewed Denise Waterman from Type Fit. Oh, wow, well, okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she'll be interested to to listen to this uh, podcast. Okay, brilliant. I mean, uh, the, the songs that uh, you had um, in, the, in, those, in the 70s and 80s, Eaton Rifles, uh, When You're Young, Town Called Malice, we mentioned, Absolute Beginners, That's Entertainment, I remember that as well. Uh, all fantastic stuff. Um, uh, in the book is called The Jam 1982 and it's about that year and, and how it all ended really isn't it at the, at the end of the December 1982 uh, what happened because Paul Weller uh, wasn't happy was he what happened at the end with Paul well it's difficult to tell I mean um, as a band we obviously you know um, worked very hard to get where we were mm. Um we we managed to get signed. We managed to uh, work really hard uh, as far as the gigs were concerned, and we would um, worked hard in the studio to, to make hit records and, and etc. Um, and when Paul and nineteen eighty two started off really really well, we were full of enthusiasm with everything that was going on. We just finished another album, um, The Gift, which was being released uh, in nineteen eighty two. Um, and we took a short break, came back uh, to back into a recording studio again in the, the late summer. And um, Paul said he wanted to leave. And his his reason for that, that that he gave us, me and Bruce, was that it was a treadmill he wanted to get off of, um, and that he felt that um, uh, you know, he just wanted to leave the band, and mm. that, that, there was no real explanation behind it. It was, it was very much an unexpected thing. We, you know, we were selling well at the at the, the shows. The 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 the, uh, the records were doing well. Uh, we hadn't fallen out with each other. 
Um, do you know, and you know what I mean? All the usual things that get a band, you know, like somebody dies or mm. something like that. None of these things that actually happened to us. So the Paul's reason for sort of wanting to leave was we didn't really understand. Um, I know Bruce made the point. Well, why don't you take six months off? Why don't we take a year off? Why yeah. don't we, you know, go and do something else for a while? And then um, if you still feel the same way, then then we'll, uh, you know. Um, because we were we were grown up, we, we we respected it. If he wanted to leave, and and that was his mind made up, then fair enough. Yeah. I think what we didn't under what we didn't like and what we didn't understand was the reasoning for it. Didn't seem to make sense. And then in 1983, um, reading some of the interviews that Paul had done, uh, some of the the other things that he said why he left the band also didn't seem to make sense. He was. He said that he did it so that he so that the band would mean something. Now, uh, to me, that's just I don't that that, that doesn't make sense. Um, the band obviously did mean something to to the fans, and um, I think it, and I'm sure Paul must have understood that. So it looked to me as if he was scrabbling around for a reason why the band should split or why mm. he should call it a day on it. Um, and then years later, he said it was musical differences. But this is not what he said at the time. This was not the reasoning that he gave us at mm-hmm. the time. Do you so think- I think there was something else going on in the background with yeah. Paul, either his relationship with his dad or the way the band was managed, because uh, there was there was trouble there. I don't think we were particularly well handled by John. Um, and I think that was probably causing problems for Paul. Um, contractually, what we were asked to be, to do um basically i think we'd we'd lost um direction in as much as that uh you know we were we were pretty much managed by the record company they were the ones that were calling the shots i mean it's you know it's a sort of parallel path with the record company but um their their agenda is is a little bit different so i think there there was definitely something else going on in the background and I don't think Paul's ever really come clean about the real reason why he left the band. You know, mm-hmm. I think there was there was a very strong possibility that had Paul not have left the band, I think issues would have come out, and um, and a lot of things that would have been realised, and probably the band would have split under under different circumstances. Yeah. Um, but who knows? I mean, these these things never last forever. No band ever lasts forever. Mm-hmm. So we. Um, Quite gentlemanly in in uh, in our own way, went about how do we dismantle this group mm. in 1982. So we went, we did the last tour, we released um, a live album for the record company that got us out of our contract uh, with Polydor, and the shows were great. The shows were really really good, and personally, I kept thinking maybe he's got to change his mind. He must see how well these shows are going, and the band were playing really well. Um, uh, but no, there was obviously something diggling, at, you know, at him which he he felt wasn't working. God only knows what was on his mind. Um, so I don't know. It's it's it was a very strange decision. I um, mean, I don't believe the fairy stories that he came out with about making the band mean something, and it didn't take a grand gesture like leaving the band to make the band mean what it did to our fans. 
Or maybe he had um, his thoughts on a solo career, you know, and take all the money. <laughs> well, well, you know, who's, who's who can say? But I mean, there, there was no reason, there was nothing to stop Paul having a solo career alongside no. the jam as well. Do you know what I mean? He didn't yeah. need to uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Have you to, spoken to, to him since? That. Sorry? Have you spoken to him since? Myself and Bruce made quite a lot of effort to stay in touch with Paul. Um, you know, I'd often go out to, to dinner with, with Bruce or whatever uh, in the subsequent years. Um, Paul actively shuns talking to myself and Bruce for about 20 years. Um, he would not talk about the jam in interviews. He wouldn't play the jam songs. So there was something quite um, wrong with what was, what was going on there, I think. Um, you know, uh, hindsight being what it is. Um, so yeah, it was a real shame, but yeah, he still, he still won't talk to us. I, I think there's some, there is some element of, uh, he probably can't look us in the eye. I don't know. Um, but still that's, you know, that was his decision. He was, that's fine. Yeah. What advice would you give to, uh, musicians? Cause you've, you've been around a long time and I, I don't want to count the years. So the same for me, really. <laughs> we all get, we get on a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, um, uh, what advice would you give to, uh, maybe younger musicians who are struggling? Um, and most people are struggling in the music industry. Let's face it. Um, and what would advice would you give to people listening to this episode about uh, their, their musical careers and geeking and stuff? Well, when we first started off, um, obviously you learn your you, you learn your instrument, and you learn stagecraft, and you learn a way of, of, of um, uh, you know relating to a, to an audience. Um, but I think one of the things that often gets overlooked is um, learn the industry, learn what. Um, you know, how the royalty systems work, how PPL, PRS, learn that side of it as well, because uh, there's, you know, I think if you're going to get into an industry like, especially like the music industry, there's so many different facets of it. Mm. Um, and I think that that is, is well worth sort of picking up on as, as if that's the industry that you want to get into, I think you should learn that side of it as much as you possibly can. Yeah. And how have you, I mean, the, the, the industry has changed since uh, those early 70s years when you started uh, the jam. Uh, the technology has changed a lot uh, as well, obviously. It's all digital now instead of uh, on, on tape, as it was when, when we both started out in our careers. Uh, how have you coped with all that, do you think? Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? What's happened in, in your I think it's, I think it's a good thing. I think it's... Um it, it doesn't really change the landscape of it too much, to be honest. Uh, you know, you still have to make good records. They still have to be broadcast. You still have to deal with, um, you know, playing live shows and getting an audience and your own image together. Um, it's, it's the digital format um, has, has, has only really changed um, in, in the, uh, um, I mean, you could only get records in record shops and what have you, but now there's a multitude ways of, of getting music out there um so it's it, in some ways it's made it a lot better um but um i wouldn't say it would changed it too much really mm. Mm, that's good and of course things like vinyl have come back haven't they you know i think more vinyl records were sold than cds last year i know that's crazy it's a bit of a nostalgic thing i've the record companies are rubbing their hands together because they sell it to you twice yeah. they sell it to you on vinyl which a lot of people put away 
I mean, I love the vinyl thing because you get a big sleeve, big 12-inch sleeve as yeah. well, with all the artwork and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, people often like the convenience of digital, I think, as well. Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, seeing play in the car and when you're, when you're out for a run and all the rest of it, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but it's good to have both, have the options, isn't it, I think. Um, and you're still uh, gigging at the moment. So tell me about um, the gigs that you've been doing. Well, the, 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 yeah, I mean, yeah, they're sort of gigs. I mean, what I've been doing is doing a lot of Q&As. Right. Um, which, is, which is good, like just um, talking to, to the audiences. And um, obviously a lot of it is to do promoting the, the books that I've done. Yeah. You know, because I did my autobiography six years ago. And I've done, um, I think this is book number five or six, this one. Um, so, yeah, it's a good way of promoting it. It's, and also there's people who have got questions that they wanted to ask uh, about the jam or being in a band or, you know, similar things that you, you're sort of talking about today. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, and it's, it's actually quite enjoyable. You know, it's... Uh, um, a way of meeting the fans as well, isn't it? it yes, yeah, exactly that, yes. Yeah, brilliant. And um, how about the future? Will it be a seventh or an eighth book, do you think? Or will you be back on the roads with the bands, you know, play, playing those drums? <laughs> I, I really don't know. I mean, I never say never. So um, I'm, I've just literally finished this one, you know, the, this book, 1982. So I can't see myself doing another book at the second. Um, but you never know. I, I, uh, it, it's possible. Um, I really don't know. I mean, I, I think at the moment... Um, I've got some more Q and A's planned for next year um, around around Britain to um, uh, and uh, a bit further afield um, because there still seems to be a demand for that, and I quite enjoy doing them. So that's mm. that's where I meet my immediate plans are in the second. Brilliant! Well, it's it's different as well. That's a really good idea. I like it. I'll, I'll try and get try and get to one if I possibly can in, in my travels. Um, <laughs> your book, The Jam, nineteen eighty two is out now it's available on amazon i checked uh it is there um in various formats so that's fantastic um we'll put that in the text with uh, this podcast episode plus website of course for information rick buckler from the jam thank you so much for talking to me on music stories oh great thanks very much Music Stories is a free podcast with no fees paid to contributors in the hope that it'll help and inspire others in the music industry. Get in touch if you've got a story to tell. If you would like a professional podcast made or would like training so you can do it yourself, I can help. Go to TonyLloydRadio.com Music Stories with Tony Lloyd.